You're about to listen to another Bonversation. If you like this episode, you can find more at johnlebon.com. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. Shit, they're lying to us! Yeah, John Bond coming to you from beautiful Plovdiv, Bulgaria for Bonversations number 26 with a very special guest. And we need a special guest for this reboot of the Bonversations. We did 25 of these back in the day and we had all kinds of special guests. In fact, let's take a look at some of the special guests that we had in the first iteration of the Bonversations. Take a look at this. We spoke to Marcus Allen. For all of you people who've been in the truth game for 10 years or more, you know who Marcus Allen is. We spoke with Ray West. Let me just zoom in here. If you've ever heard of this idea that nuclear bombs might not really exist, if you've ever heard of that idea, maybe you wonder who were the first people to come along and put that idea forward. Well, Ray West was there right from the beginning. And I was very excited about that particular interview because back in 2014, when I first got into all of this, his work had a very positive influence on mine. So I spoke to him for episode four of Bonversations. We spoke with a whole bunch of people, but who might, you know, Human Vibration, the lady who helped popularize this idea that maybe the John Benet Ramsey event wasn't what we were told. I've got to watch what I say, folks, because we're streaming this on YouTube and you understand how these things are. For the second hour of these conversations, or for the after call, as I call them, we can be a bit more liberal with what we say. I spoke with Dave J, my truth uncle, crazy Dave J. Then we spoke with Boogeyman. Most of you won't know who he is, but if you're into media fakery, you've been here for a while, you'll know who Boogeyman is. Media Bear, the team who put together those songs that parody or satirize the, uh, you know, the events of the last few years. Again, I'm trying to watch my words here. But I spoke to them just after they'd been on the Alex Jones show. Amazing stuff. Tim Osman. When Tim Osman joins me later on for this conversation, he'll be the first return guest for the conversation series. Tom Barnett. You might have seen that guy who was like, you can't catch a virus. And what do I mean when I say you can't catch a virus? Well, well, that guy. I interviewed him for Bombersations number 13. Terrific conversation, if I do say so myself. Ab the Fakeologist, of course, popped in for a conversation at one point. Hando from Estonia. Most of you probably aren't familiar with him, but I've actually met been to see him in Estonia. I visited him and I got to see his little country that he lives in and the influence that he's had there. He's basically the Alex Jones of Estonia in terms of how many people know him. His views are very different to Alex Jones, but pretty much every Estonian has heard of this guy. Now, Estonia is a small country, 1.3 million people. So it's half the size of an Australian city like Brisbane, maybe a third the size of Sydney, right? It's not a very big place. So to be the most well-known there is maybe not as big a deal as it would be in your country, in my country. But the point is, you go to Estonia, everybody knows Hando. And one of the reasons why is because he ran for parliament, openly stating his views on 9-11. And his views are probably more extreme than many of yours. And you're probably thinking, but JLB, I, I don't believe the official story of 9-11. I think, yeah, whatever you think, there's a good chance his opinions are even more extreme. And not only did he not hide those views before running for parliament, he made it part of his platform. He didn't end up winning a spot in uh, in the Estonian parliament, but he, he made a name for himself. And uh, yeah, that was a good uh, conversation. Who else? Mark Tukarski, the guy who runs Peace of Mindful, Jamar 85 who used to work 
I think, with or collaborate with the uh, the more well-known Jamatria dude, who you're all familiar with. Jamatria 85 has gone on his own path, I suppose, and I strongly recommend you check out that conversation. By the way, these are all available right now. If you go to bombversations.com, every one of these conversations is available right now. And the most recent conversation before we went on hiatus was with the guys from Epic Cash. And I know a lot of people, they are very skeptical of cryptocurrency, and so they should be. I wanted to speak to the creator of one of these cryptocurrencies. I wanted to get to know more about who is this guy and what's he trying to achieve. And by the end of the conversation, it's fair to say, I found myself thinking, maybe these guys are legit. Doesn't mean I'm going to promote them. Doesn't mean I'm going to invest large sums of money into their project. But maybe these guys, are they truly mean well. I'm not sure. And interestingly enough, their coin has gone to the moon in the past three weeks, hasn't it? It's tripled in price, but it might come down again. I don't know. I'm not a cryptocurrency guy, but I spoke with those guys. That was a terrific conversation. So those are just some of the conversations I'm waiting for you right now at bombversations.com. But tonight, we are talking with Tim Osman of the Infinite Playing Society. So let me just go and check to see where he is. He can't be too far away at this point, I hope. Are we streaming? I did press go live. I hope I'm not talking to myself here. Let's find out. Yeah, it says we started streaming their project, but yep, there it is. So now we're just waiting for Tim Osman to make his appearance. He'll be here any moment. So while we're waiting, what kind of topics are we talking about today? Well, we've got quite a few topics to talk about. If we go to the Infinite Plane Society media, you might have heard that Tim Osman recently spoke with Johnny Cerucci. Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Johnny Cerucci or how many were familiar with him before he spoke with Tim Osman of the Infinite Plane Society. But Johnny Cerucci has been in the game a long time, longer than me even. He was, like people knew of this guy back in 20, I want to say 15, was probably when I first heard of him. And he's been around for a long time. I only found out recently that Tim Osman himself made an appearance on the Johnny Cerucci show. Take a look at this. Uh, okay, great. Hey, uh, Internet Plain Society. Tim, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yep, you are, you are loud and clear. Good. Man, I'm so excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for the invite, and uh, thanks for the introduction and everything, and you're absolutely right. Uh, Behind the Perv was a kind of a comedic take on Behind the Curve, just sort of being ironic, and it's all about how behind the scenes there was more going on than just a bunch of conspiracy theorists, because we unmasked what appeared to be a network of uh, feds and people who were being handled, people who, who should have been in jail, people who were on parole for some very bad things. Are you guys hearing that? Let me know in the live stream chat if the audio, if I play a video, if the audio comes through at uh, a reasonable level. Let me know if you could hear that. In case you couldn't, that was Tim Osman right out of the gate on his appearance on Johnny Cerucci saying that when he released Beyond the Perv, which was uh, a play on words with Beyond the Curve. You guys remember the whole flat earth thing back in the day? Yep. We're going over, uh, this is a long time ago, folks. 2015 flat earth got big. Can you believe that? That was like eight years ago. I think it was either March or February of... I think it was February. Don't quote me on that. Of 2015 was when Mark Sargent released his Flat Earth Clues Part 1. Empty theater. I think that was February. And then within days of that, Jeronism had a channel and he became very popular very fast. And that was all, I think, guys, February or March of 2015. Of course, subsequent to all of that some people were asking some very valid questions, such as how come some of these leading Flat Earth promoters are putting forward arguments that are so easily debunked? How come some of these leading Flat Earthers 
they have backgrounds that might otherwise seem suspicious. Some people started asking these questions. I got out of all of that in 2015, 16. I was like, I've had enough of this. I've, I've come to learn that the official story of where we live is hocus pocus. It's nonsense. But I decided a lot of the photo stuff, it just, it wasn't my cup of tea for a whole bunch of reasons. So I more or less stopped paying attention to it. By this time, Tim Mosman had made a splash in the, the flat earth subculture, you can call it that. And then he discovered, along with some of his collaborators, that the, how do I say this without saying the wrong thing? There were some people involved in the scene, in the flat earth scene, some of the would-be leaders of the whole thing, who there were some serious questions about what they had uh, been doing, what they'd been up to. That's all I can say for now. So apparently that's what Tim Osmond was talking about when he went and visited the Johnny Cerucci show. Let's listen to more of this. And the more we looked, the more we found, as you've seen in the documentary, no doubt. Why, Tim, why would federal agents be so intimately involved in the truth community unless they had targeted the average person as their as their their prey as their enemy and this is so integral to to true seeking that the, the what i learned in the military is the very people you pay you vote for you pay taxes for these are the ones that are doing doing you harm that that's that's the amazing thing infiltrated uh with the purpose of causing us harm uh, stirring us up with fear, stirring us up with disinformation. That's that's the really disturbing part. Absolutely. The fact that we're looking at, uh, down to the level of the individual, it's thought management, and the mind virus that had people questioning the integrity of NASA's so-called evidence is something they wanted to control. And I think that's their main thing. They're trying to protect sensitive areas and any critical thinkers they're going to go after. And what they did, I believe, is something similar to how the Air Force sent in agents to influence conspiracy theorists. There's a documentary about this called Mirage Men, where they send special agents to contaminate the field of info. That way they can control it. And I think that whatever was being talked about with this group of so-called flat earthers, uh, there was a lot of skepticism. They wanted to nip in the butt. Um, for me... As I've asked many times, how is it possible? And when I go back and I've written about this, how the particularly the CIA has been caught conducting some of the most heinous, despicable crimes against Americans, whether it's targeting innocent, unwitting Americans, and this is open source, um, not not hard to find on LSD for use of uh, mind control to some of, some of the more difficult sources, Kathy O'Brien uh, and uh, Sue Ford, saying that, that they were pulled in to a government intelligence uh, child sex trafficking network. These are crimes that America's supposed enemies can only dream of, and yet our own governments is conducting these against us. And Very interesting stuff from Johnny Cerucci there. Now, I'm just getting up to speed with all of this, folks. I understand that there might have been some dramas to do with Tim Osmond's appearance on the Johnny Cerucci show. So I'm expecting that's one of the things we'll talk about today. We've got a lot to talk about as well, though, on Tim Osmond's most recent 
live stream that uh, is available at his Patreon and on his other platforms. He was also talking about dinosaurs in China and dragon eggs in Japan. I'm guessing most of the viewers and listeners right now, there's about 50 people watching from around the world as we speak while we're waiting for Tim Osman to uh, appear on the show. I'm guessing most of you have at least begun to question this idea that the world used to be inhabited by these giant lizard bird creatures 70 million years ago, 100 million years ago, whatever the case is. We're led to believe at school and by TV and what have you that the, the world is covered in these uh, creatures. All, this, uh, all these years ago, maybe that's not the case. Let me know in the live stream chat. Let me know where you're up to with that particular potential hoax. I get people saying to me stuff like, oh, they can't all be in on it. And I'm like, who? And they're like, oh, the, the archaeologists, the experts. I'm like, in on it. No, they're, they're the least... They're the least in on it people you could possibly hope to ever see because they fully believe this stuff. They, they spend years at school specifically learning about these stories that they believe are real. So, no, they're not all in on it. It's, it's the opposite of that. You know what I mean? This is very entry-level hey, stuff. Hey, John, can you hear me okay? I certainly can. Tim Osman, 2022. Welcome to Conversations. Welcome back. You're the first return guest for Conversations. It's an honor, and I'm glad you brought it back. That was quite a roster that you went through of previous interviews, previous guests. Well, I was very happy with the first iteration of Bonversations. We had a short hiatus, about six months, but we're back. There's now a Bonversations.com, and all of the previous episodes are available right now. People just go to Bonversations.com. They can check out the episodes that they seem interested by. Just click on that link, and then up it will pop. And then usually... The conversations are about an hour, sometimes 40 minutes, sometimes an hour, 20, but usually about an hour. And then there is an after show beyond that. And the after show, we can be a bit more liberal with what we say, Tim Osmond, because that stuff never goes on YouTube. We have to be careful what we say on YouTube, you know what I mean? I mean, you know better than most oh, people what I'm talking about. Better than most people. My present YouTube channel I'm on right now has 400 subs. That took a lot of work, but it means that there's no real substantive content there. Every It's mostly just me rambling and drawing pictures of penguins because... If you say the wrong thing, there are people who monitor these channels. They will pull the channel down without thinking. And yeah, the second half in your server, we won't have to pull any punches. So I highly recommend that people join uh, johnlebon.com. And if you're a member of my Patreon, obviously they'll get that um, second half. So we've got a whole bunch of people in the live stream chat. I need them to let me know, Tim, if my audio and your audio are coming through about the same. Because if they're not, we can adjust that. And once we've got this technical stuff out of the way, we can get right into the conversation. So live stream viewers, please let us know, is my audio about the same as Tim's? If one of us is a bit louder or a bit softer, it's not a big deal. But if it's a big difference, we need to fix this up straight away. So let us know in the live stream chat, are we coming through clearly? While we're waiting for that correspondence, Tim, so I didn't know about this until I was doing my prep for today's call. I was just at the cafe making some notes. I only just found out that your appearance on Johnny Cerucci might have led to some controversy. Don't give us all the information, but give us an overview. Is there some kind of uh, drama going on here? Yeah, apparently there is, and I was sort of the last to know. Uh, we had a great ta- a great interview, great conversation. We just met on the phone, and after I left, the last thing that Johnny Cerucci said to me was, I love you, bro. And I thought everything was great. I was sharing it. Uh, the next day, someone messaged me, and they said, oh, they're going to expose you because of something they found. And I went and I looked at their video channel, and it does seem like a lot of his listeners were alarmed by my appearance. Uh, They were 
mostly angry at me for not being openly religious or Christian. And, you know, I, I'm very tolerant of people's belief systems, but some people, some believers, they will outgroup as threats, you know, those who aren't part of it. And so I think that's what it came down to. They were kind of mad. And Johnny seemed to think that I had sneaked in, even though he invited me. But yeah, they're still mad at me from what I understand. This is very controversial stuff. And then also, let me just tweet out, I had a tweet ready to go for all of our potential listeners out there on the JLB Twitter feed. So I've just tweeted that out. Now I saw this, we can't talk about this too much in the first hour because we are streaming on YouTube here, but am I to understand that a bunch of people on Twitter have been doing their so-called transvestigations and then they've decided to target you and then you have retaliated in what I would call, and this is a compliment, this is meant to complimentary, typical Tim Osmond style, you kind of fought fire with fire. Don't say too much just yet, but is that, am I on Am I on the right path? Has some strange things been going on with these transvestigators? Yes, because I, I'm very skeptical of mainstream media claims because normally their claims, even if they're given in good faith, uh, they don't supply the right evidence. There's usually some level where the viewer is meant to believe them and trust them. And I'm looking at conspiracy theories the same way. And we have these conspiracy theorists who believe that the elite are all gender inverted. And I disagree with that premise. And for disagreeing, instead of getting into a debate, they start, when I say they, I mean top tier investigators, 18,000 subs pointed at me and said, he's one of them. I have a direct quote. We're not punching down. He's one of them. And they immediately went into investigating me. And I thought, this is not real research. This is a witch hunt. And yeah, I'm, I'm suggesting that the whole, um, we're going to call it a movement, a theory, the transvestigation thing, I think it's more akin to a moral, a, a moral panic in a witch hunt than a legitimate uh, example of forensic anthropology. It's fascinating. And it's fascinating, too, to be caught in their sights as one of them. In fact, uh, one of them, uh, Xmas Evil Eve 1, has actually identified you and, and me as both uh, females, and we're in the Illuminati, according to this theory. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, this Xmas Evil character on Twitter, I first noticed them putting, um, you know, like you can put the at John LeBon. What do you call that? When you specifically mention someone in a tweet, there's a word for it. Anyway, they first started doing that with me about a month ago. And they seem to be a keen follower of Fakeologist.com. And a shout out to Fakeologist.com, I think he's in the live stream chat right now. So they seem to be very much into this media fakery, this uh, Xmas Evil character. And I personally do like to hear from people who are Fakeologist fans or media fakery fans, because there aren't that many of us out there. So if they have listened to an episode of me on Fakeologist or whatever, I'm always interested to hear their feedback. But this Xmas... Uh, evil character then started suggesting that you or me or a whole bunch of us were transpicious or whatever. And I'm not here to judge people, uh, Tim. I, if people really believe in this transvestigation stuff, that's their business. Like if people really believe it, and some people do, Tim, some people get really into this topic. It becomes like their favorite topic. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But I think some of these people, Tim, tell me your opinion. This is just a new way of accusing you of being a paid shill or a Jesuit or a Jew or Illuminati. Just calling someone... Yes. Like if someone is a male, calling them a female or vice versa. They're not saying it because they really believe it. It's just a new way to mm, besmirch someone. I think... 
I'm not saying they're all doing that because some of them really believe what they're saying. But I think some of them, this is just a new way to try to uh, criticize people without any substance. That's how it seems to me. Yeah, it seems that it replaced reptilians. Uh, People used to say the same thing. Oh, it's reptoids. They're all reptilians. And their cognitive bias sets in and, and they prove it to themselves. And one of the things I've noticed with this group is I think that they have this in-group crowd thing, kind of like the Mandela effect, where they're already convinced. And the people who aren't convinced are enemies, pretty much. They're outgrouped automatically, like, oh, you don't believe it because you're either enabling it or you're part of it. And this paranoia towards the outsider is typical of these types of cult mindsets. And there may be something to it, but I think they fall short of actual forensic anthropology. And for anybody claiming to be an expert as such, it wouldn't make sense that you would be anonymous on Twitter. And then one more point I want to add here is that they are Christian. And I'm not anti-religion. I'm just saying that if your movement is Christian-based, it's fundamentally different than something that's more objective. Like the biblical flat earthers are way different from globe skeptics. And I'm suggesting that the uh, Christian transvestigation movement is more about belonging to a group and it's like an emotional response and i don't think it's as objective as they would like you to think otherwise they wouldn't accuse all of their critics of being one of them well we've certainly got a lot to talk about on this show so i've got a few notes ready i've got this uh china skyfall because your last appearance on conversations get this one of the main sinks that i call it a sink you have a maybe different terminology but these synchronicities that you see This was back in June of 2021. You're talking about a Chinese skyfall. And what has been the big news over the last month or two, Tim Osmond? So back in 2021, you were talking about a Chinese skyfall. And if people don't believe you, by the way, you can just go back and listen to that conversation. It's available right now for free at bombersations.com. Go and check it out. Tim Osmond, you were talking about a Chinese skyfall. You were seeing all of these patterns and all of these motifs and tropes that were coming up again and again. It was a recurring theme. You spoke about it on conversations. Now let's fast forward to the last couple of months here in so-called real life 2023. And what have we been seeing in the news, Tim Osman? Yeah, specifically, um, at the beginning of this year, at the beginning of the Chinese lunar year, year of the rabbit, um, I started, again, paying attention to China in this regard. And I'm not making guesses. I'm going off of predictive programming as a model. And as we all know, this year on 2-4... 2023, that Chinese balloon was shot down. Interestingly enough, that Chinese balloon, which looked kind of moon-like, was shot down on the one-year anniversary of the movie Moonfall, which I would I was contending at the time was part of this predictive programming for Space Wars. And here we have, again, on the anniversary of Moonfall, the Chinese space balloon falls from the sky, and everybody's looking, and it's Super Bowl weekend. So I I think we're vindicated in examining media the way that we have been. And this moon symbolism with China, very interesting. At the beginning of this year, as you probably recall, we had that bang, bang event, which we can talk about, you know, backstage. But the whole thing with the uh, lunar dance hall, I I think there's some fascinating connections because China is all about the moonshot this year and the year of the rabbit. And then one more thing, China's lunar rover is the jade rabbit. So people who are paying attention to these reoccurring themes, I I, I think, are picking up on objective patterns. And, yeah, you can make predictions based on it. Well, that is what the evidence says. So once again, I don't expect anybody to believe me. 
Go and check out our Bomber Station from 2021, the China Skyfall motifs. And then once you've listened to that, take a look at what's been happening in the last couple of months and tell me it's all a coincidence. I don't think that you'll do that. So I've got a few things on the uh, old notepad here. We've got the Johnny Cerucci incident, memoir of a body transporter you've recently released, and I haven't had a chance to take a look at it yet. It's only come out in the last few days. You've recently released another book, so I want to talk about that. The Dinosaurs in China Dragon Egg thing in Japan, because that was the most recent of your audios that I had chance to listen to before we started all of this. The Transvestigation stuff, and this uh, recent... You've changed headquarters. You're still in Albuquerque, New Mexico, though, right? Yeah, I'm still in Albuquerque, but I I ran into some financial difficulties because I went all in. I tripled down on my lawsuit against Google and one of my longtime stalkers, and I'm saying it's totally worth it, but... Yeah, presently I'm in between headquarters, but I'm I'm trying to get back on track here. But, you know, that's what it takes sometimes to win some of these legal victories. And this is a five-year thing, but I I believe I'm going to win. So for anyone who's wondering, yeah, I'm kind of in between headquarters, but um, I'm making it work. Well, I know that's the case, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this conversation. We had to sort of play around with the dates a little bit, but uh, we've got it all working right now. There's a whole bunch of people in the live stream chat. I'll read their comments out as we go through. Why don't we start with this memoir of a body transporter? And before you tell me about all of that, for any listeners who are either new to John LeBon or to Tim Osman, I'll put links in the show notes. You can go and check out Tim Osman's first appearance on Conversations. We spent a lot of time on that particular call talking about Tim Osman's path from all the way back to when you appeared in front of the, was it the Albuquerque Council or I'm not sure exactly what. Yes, City Council, that's correct. Yeah, so that was when I first became uh, familiar with your work or the familiar with your general shtick was when you presented yourself as Mark Sargent and you went to a city council meeting and you spoke about the bubbles. You know, this uh, this could be a big problem, you said. If, if they're taking billions of dollars and there's not meant to be bubbles in space, how come we're seeing bubbles? This could be a big problem. So we spoke about your path to get to there, what you did subsequent to that, and all the years leading up to that particular conversation, we got all the background done. So there's no need to go over all of that again. So anybody who is new to this, just go and check out the show notes. There are calls waiting for you where we get all the background for Tim Osman, which is what we try and do with all the guests for conversations. We try and spend the first hour getting to know the guest. Who are they? Where'd they come from? What is their main thing? All these kinds of things. There's no need to go over that again, though, because time is of the essence. So all that stuff is waiting for you in the show notes. So let's get into the fun then. So tell us about this latest book of yours, Memoirs of a Body Transporter. Yes, uh, Uber Death. Uh, Two words, uh, Uber Death. And it's about my various um, positions in the death care profession. I I started off in the military as a mortuary affairs, and those are the guys who are tasked with identifying bodies and sending them back. We learned that the whole trade there, but I followed that up as a civilian. I took a job transporting bodies for the morgue. So someone suicides or shoots somebody or crashes in their car. Somebody has to go pick up the body, bag it, have it sealed by the coroner, and then transport it back to the morgue. And that is a job that I did for a couple of years. And then during that time, I started doing cleaning up on the side of all these you know bl- bloody scenes. So I had a crime scene cleanup and a body transporting thing. And concurrent with this, I was uh, working at a embalming center. Anyway, my point is, I did this for a number of years, and then I left it behind. I got into art. I got onto YouTube. But then last year, I was running short on funds, and I decided to go back and revisit my, my old job. And I got a 
gig for about a month and a half driving bodies around New Mexico. And Uber death is about the life of a body transporter inside and out, everything that's um, around that particular field, what you have to deal with. And I just released it a month ago in paperback, and the audiobook just came out a few days ago. And people can find it at uberdeath.com, but it's on everything. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes. And my objective with publishing all these books is to finance the Infinite Plane Society. So if you're buying the books or the audiobooks, it's all to keep this thing going. I'm glad you mentioned that because just on the screen now, and of course, I generally do these conversations. They're an audio-only thing. But because this is the first show back in almost seven months and we're rebooting the series, I thought, why not do the first hour tonight live streaming it? means we have to be a bit more careful what we say for the first hour, but that's no big deal. So for those who are watching the live stream, again, normally these are just MP3s, but for this episode, you can actually see the video of the first hour. On the screen I've got, what is the IPS? This is from infiniteplane.press. It says, the Infinite Plane Society is a fake news wood chipper. The IPS think tank mercilessly rolls over psychological operations, simulated news, and psi war operations. It is mind war inoculation. Then it says, welcome to the IPS think tank. It has been about a year since we last spoke. In fact, I'm not sure if you remember this. We spoke with the fakeologist about a year ago. Do you remember this? It was a 311. I might even have it ready here, actually. Here it is. The 311 review with Tim Osman and fakeologist. That was on Feb 6 of 2022. So it's been about a year since then, Tim. A lot has happened in the time since then. Give us an update on the IPS think tank. Okay, for those who don't know, the IPS Think Tank is the main feature. I'm not just a YouTube channel, but I've always built these or structured these live streams around a a very vibrant think tank, which is a group of people who are on the same sheet. We're all looking at the same topic, putting our best ideas forward. And then by interacting with the chat, we tended to distill the best ideas. And I've uh, maintained this think tank despite all the different changes the channel has gone through despite being cut off of one platform to another. I maintain it normally just through the email, but now through the text alerts. But this think tank has been going strong for about uh, five years straight now, and I have no intention of stopping it. Now, since the last time we spoke, it was on the anniversary of the big event, the 311. Uh, So in the last year, I have expanded into getting ready for print. That's why I'm publishing books. And we have more than 150 press pass carrying reporters. And the intention here for the future of this channel is we want to have people on the ground to fact check the claims of big media. A case in point, Ohio, one of our reporters, Watchdog, went out to Ohio to see what actually happened there. And if he could verify or in any way um, prove that what the media was depicting was real or was just a movie set. My point being... We need to inform ourselves beyond what the screen tells us. And I think having a street team is essential. And that's where the think tank is now. And the future is going to be increasingly gathering intel ourselves um, on these events that we talk about. Well, I know that your Discord server has literally hundreds of people there. It's a very active Discord server. Very active. I can't even keep track of... Like, even when I log into it, I can catch up with the last day. But that's about it. It's just... uh, There's too much happening there. What's been the main things... Say this here, what have been the main things that you and the think tank have been spending your time on? I I think the main thing has been this recognition that beyond just predictive programming, the media saturates us with narratives on every available platform, entertainment, celebrities, and politics to 
keep us all on the same sheet. This year, we focused on what I call concurrent programming, where I'm actively I'm not actively consuming anything that's streaming. If it's Amazon, Netflix, HBO, I have to watch everything, and I'm able to gauge where the public mind is at, what they're being prepared to accept. And I'm realizing that they use predictive programming to make people hyper-suggestible, but that they use concurrent programming. That's my, my phrase. And it was nowhere clearer than this thing with Ohio. And in this Ohio event, we have an example where even the media remarked on how hey, this train derailment was just like the movie. And I'm suggesting here that the predictive programming is not some anomalous thing and it was just an eerie coincidence that they just noticed. I'm saying it's the norm, not the exception. And that's what my channel's been really focused on this last year and our think tank has been really deconstructing mass media as a monolith. And that's one of the keys here. It's monolithic. It's not actually a bunch of competing companies trying to vie for your attention it's just it's all white noise it's this constant background and that's another thing i think is significant about ohio is that the movie that predicted it was called white noise and i think that's a statement about our mental environments well i've just got up on the screen here this uh, news story how did a train derailment turn into an environmental disaster and just how serious is it so you won't be able to hear this but the listeners will let me just play a few seconds of this to give some context to what we're talking about here. Look at those flames. Look at that. And a township finds itself in the middle of a disaster. Everywhere you look in East Palestine, Ohio, fire and smoke. Yeah, and unlike any other event, don't yet um, know what the, the mass media, even down to Yahoo News, made it a point to say, hey, look, this is just like in the movie. And then they added on that some of the extras in the movie were actually people who had to relocate because of the real-life thing. All right, so they the official story is that there was some train derailment and it caused an environmental disaster because they, the people who responded to it decided to burn the chemicals rather than let the chemicals get into the... So it was, so it was some train with a whole bunch of chemicals, dangerous chemicals. It has a derailment somehow. And then someone decides to burn the chemicals rather than let them be released. And then I saw this news story, Tim, of somebody claiming that there were dead fish the fish in their local creek or something were going belly up and the fish were all dying. And I thought, well, that is possible. I mean, if there were chemicals released into the waterways, I could see the local you know, animals uh, dying as a result. I mean, it's possible. But then I thought, how do I know that this is a real news story, Tim? Because I'm very suspicious of some of these news stories. I found myself thinking, how do I know this isn't a fake news story? You tell me, what do you and the IPS think tank people, what's your best explanation of all of this? Is this another phony fake show? Is this a real event that's been exaggerated? Is this a made-for-TV movie and nobody died, nobody got hurt? You tell me, what's going on with this Ohio train disaster thing? Yeah, great question. Uh, one, uh, we see the fish. They could be crisis fish, I don't know. But my first question is, is this fakeable? Is the event itself fakeable? For us to even question it, we have to have that as a starting point. Is it something that's too big of, a, of, a, of an operation to conceivably have hoaxed it like this? And my, my answer is it's 100% fakeable. The fact that they just made a movie about it a few months before that was just released suggests that everything we saw in the news was entirely within the purview of movie magic. We don't have to assume it to be real. And then when you look at the predictive programming, you have to ask yourself, well, how many coincidences am I willing to overlook? 
it wasn't just white noise. It was also Super 8, a Steven Spielberg, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, also has some predictive programming value in this case. You know, two Spielberg's films. Then it happens to be um, really, I think, around one of the most contentious issues of our time, which is the environment. And fascinatingly enough, a, a week after the event, nobody in the news media was talking about it. It was only left for the alternative, the conspiracy theorists and the right wing to talk about it. Only the right. And they were like, where's Greta? A week later, Greta and the entire left come out and they say, oh, yeah, we agree with you. This is terrible. But this happens a thousand times a year. Welcome to the club. In other words, it was a trap. I think they set this event up and the agenda behind it and the agenda, the reason for even faking it, I think, was to turn a larger segment of the population against our capitalist system. And ultimately, they blame this on greed and on rich people deregulating the railways. So I'm suggesting that the levels of agenda and predictive programming here rule out the possibility that this thing was real. And there is zero reason to assume in a PSYOP that they would have actually burned dangerous chemicals. That's another big assumption people are making. And if you make that leap, I think you're falling into the trap of believing what you're seeing on the screen or secondhand information rather than getting any kind of independent verification. And for anyone who thinks that it's really a toxic environment, why is every single politician running over there for a publicity stunt? Why isn't it locked down? So my point being, I don't have any reason to think it's real, and it's 100% fakeable. Okay, how about the train then? So I'm with you so far on they could fake it. I'm totally with you. Do you think there actually was a train in or somewhere near this place called East Palestine? Interesting name. Do you think there really was a train that either came off the rails or was placed there near the rails to look like it had been derailed. Do you think there actually was a train that was quote-unquote derailed, or do you think even that part of the story is just make-believe? You know, I kind of think, and I think this because, as the news media points out, a number of extras in white noise were actual victims of the spill, and they had to go run. And again, white noise is about a toxic airborne event triggered by a train wreck. And, you know, given that, I'm thinking... They could have filmed this so-called train wreck when they made the movie. That could have been pre-recorded, and whatever smoke effects they did later, that could have been separate. But no, I don't even ha- I don't even think they would have taken a risk of derailing a train on purpose. I don't think this is a false flag. I don't think it was a real train wreck done by some shadowy group. No, this was 100% theater. Could have been model trains for all we know. So the person from your think tank who lives in Ohio, was he able to go, I'm assuming it was he, was he able to go to the supposed uh, location of this event and see if he could witness for himself a train or a bunch of carriages that were off the rails? Was he able to actually go there and see what was purported to be the crash site? I don't know. I don't think he got that close, but he did go to the site. The, uh, the the town of Palestine, he went to this place where it was headed, and he interviewed a number of locals, and he wasn't able to corroborate anything. He talked to a person at a gas station and asked him, have you noticed anything weird, people being sick? And uh, it just seemed like it was a big nothing burger. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? You know, you go to an event that is the site of something that was staged, and you go over there, and you think it's like all kinds of activity, but no, it was like a ghost town. 
That is very interesting because when I first heard this story, my natural inclination was to auto-hoax it, but not to auto-hoax the whole lot. I just figured, and I can see now this was probably naive of me, I figured at least there would be a train or a bunch of carriages off the rails. The rest of the story I figured was make-believe, but I thought there would at least be the big prop, like a giant prop train carriage or something. Do you know what I mean? But now that I think about it, they probably could have just faked the whole thing. Who's going to know any better? Do you know what I mean? Like, what if they had a perimeter? What if they had a perimeter and they just said, no vehicles in or out of here, unless you are, you know, a police officer or an emergency vehicle or something, outside of the authorized people, no one's allowed in or out of this perimeter. And then how would you or I or any regular person know any better? And then even the people who live in that town, they're only going to know what they're hearing from the TV or from the radio or the newspaper or whatever. So they'll only like they'll believe it. Why would they? Why would the average person ever doubt what they're told? They just believe the TV is here to help them. So they're all going to believe this is real. They're not going to go and investigate because you know the area could be dangerous. And then the rest of us, all we have to go off is the, the mainstream media, who for good reason a lot of us are very skeptical of them. They probably could have got away with just faking the whole thing from start to finish, couldn't they? Yeah, and what what I'd like to distinguish here is that there are people who believe what they see in TV. Like there's a guy in chat, BW Tech, he says, it's real, the videos are real. Yeah, the video is real. But what the video represents may not be. And the confusion arises from the public being trained to think the TV screen is a window to the world when it's actually a filter. And this became very clear about how people don't independently check things. When I first, when I moved into, uh, stayed, I stayed at a hotel for a minute and CNN is on TV all the time. I'm watching CNN, and it's telling me Nazis are everywhere, anti-Semitism rising. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, wait, this is an old documentary from a year ago, but they were hyping it up. And the mass media was hyping up a supposed night of hate that was coming. And I was thinking, if I was a Jew person that was afraid of Nazis because of CNN, I'm not going to go walking around to find out. I'm going to stay in my basement. And it's just like the movie The Village, where you have a village of people confined to a small area because they're afraid there's monsters in the woods. Now, they don't go check because they're afraid of monsters. It makes perfect sense. They go into their basements and they trust that their elders are protecting them. And I think that's how most people treat the the media. It's an authority and they trust it and it's faith. So, yeah, there are believers who believe there was a chemical spill, but they're not knowers. There's a huge difference between a believer and a knower. Well, we've got very different accounts in the live stream chat. Thanks all the people leaving their comments and questions. We'll try and get through some of them in just a moment. So there's somebody called VW Tech, whose username I'm not familiar with. And he or she is saying that this is nonsense. My buddy lives in the next town and he has sent me pics, you know, photos of the of the event. On the other hand, you've got Watchdog, D-O or D-Zero-G, says the roads were closed to the train I couldn't get in that close, which seems to be implying that this person has gone to go and they've tried to see the That's the my location. reporter. That's Watchdog. Yeah, he's the one who had the press pass. Uh, he went out there in the middle of the night. And yeah, he's the guy who went to fact check the claims of the media. And what I'm saying here is that the IPS knows more than the people who trust their screens. And that's exactly why we do this thing with press pass carriers, because um, we have to know, was it even an open movie set? And he indicates here that, yeah, it was a closed set. Okay, so let me throw a curveball at you. I'm sure your think tank has already covered this before. But for me, when I found this out, it was 
very interesting to me. I found out thanks to a member of the JLB server pointed this out to me. This uh, close encounters of the third kind. So you remember, Tim, how when this train thing happened, it was when it first happened, it was around about the same time as those news stories of the balloons being shot down, the Chinese balloons or whatever. These stories were happening around the same time. And the press secretary for the White House gave this bizarre little uh, speech or made this bizarre little uh, claim about how, oh, we just want to make it clear to everybody that this is not UFOs or extraterrestrials. And I'm just paraphrasing what she said, but this is the gist of it. She's like, I've seen reports, people talking about how this might be extraterrestrials. This is not to do with any of that. Something like this, right? And so you've got this this um, government you know, spokesperson being, this clip was played by the media. So the government, the media, they're telling people, guys, stop thinking about the aliens. It's not the aliens. And when you, when you tell people to, to not do something, sometimes it has the opposite effect. They actually start thinking about it, right? So they're putting this idea out there, wag the dog style. Now, there was a film called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And in that film, they want to try to fool the people or deceive the people. They don't want to tell the people that there's alien contact. So they try to come up with a way to mislead the people. And so there's a scene from the film. This is Close Encounters of the Third Guy and Folks. There's a scene where they're trying to come up with a fake story, with a cover story. And some guy says, how about we tell them that there's a virus on the loose? And then another guy says, uh, that's a terrible idea. People will never fall for it, which I find kind of amusing given what's happened over the last few years. Then somebody else says, no, let's go with a train disaster. So they come up with a train disaster as a way to get people to get out of the area. So that was in a movie from the 70s. Now we fast forward through to today in the 20s, and it seems as though for some reason in the mainstream media, we've got these two overlapping stories of the balloons. Ooh, where do they come from? The government saying, guys, it's not the aliens. Forget the aliens. I I wasn't saying it was aliens. I don't know if you were, but who were these people saying it was aliens? Well, they've put this idea in the media. Guys, it's not the aliens. You know, wag the dog style. At the same time, we've got this train event with some serious question marks over the whole thing. So where I'm going with this, Tim, tell me if you think this sounds crazy. This is almost like a, a Close Encounters, what would you say, like an ode to Steven Spielberg and Close Encounters, this idea of mixing the alien, the potential alien contact with the train cover story. Maybe I'm reading too far into this, Tim. Can you see where I'm going with this? No, you're 100%. You're right. You're right. Close Encounters of the Third Kind does involve a fake train wreck and toxic airborne event to vacate an area for the UFOs. And this train wreck happens in the shadow of all this UFO hype and all these balloons. So you can't separate the UFO from this event. And again, white noise, toxic airborne event. And then there was another movie that was called Super 8, also directed by Steven Spielberg. And this is this movie, um, it was about the summer of known as J.J. Abrams, but it was a movie about the summer of 79 was a train wreck. And it has to do, I believe, with like a Kraken, like alien being transported on the train. So Super 8, Close Encounters, both tie in the UFO alien agenda with this train wreck. Very interesting. So how would you explain all of this? If you were talking to somebody who was just a normal person, but they were genuinely open-minded, and they said to you, okay, Tim, why do you look at these news stories? Why do you analyze them? Why do you and your group want to look into these things further and debunk them or hoax them or whatever? And then you look at these TV shows on Netflix or you look at these movies or whatever. Doing all of this, 
what is the end goal or what's the real end game or end point of all of this? Why do you do this? I know this is a tough question to answer, but we're coming towards the end of the first hour and I'm trying to get to know more about the IPS think tank and the work that you do. What would you say to that person if they were genuinely open-minded, but they just didn't understand the, the greater point behind all of this? What would you say to them? I would say that our mainstream media employs newsbenders. And newsbenders is a reference to a 1968 play about a journalist who gets hired and he finds out that they're scripting the news five years in advance for purposes of social control. And I'm my contention here is that this predictive programming is highly suggestive of long-term crowd control, managing our minds. And I would even go so far as to say that NASA and the space program has always been about controlling the space between our ears, that it's always been worldview warfare. And there's a very clear example of this right now. Here in Atlanta, right next to Atlanta, here in America, there's this uh, cop city. It's a training ground that they're developing for police. And there are these environmentalist protesters fighting the police. And I have found that the story of these protesters 100% mirrors Avatar 2, The Way of Water. And what I'm, what I'm pointing out here is that these massively influential films are used to set the emotional tone and establish narratives and steer people's minds. So in short, it's for mind control. It's like a new form of religion. And so you see what you're doing as a way to undo the mind control or to inoculate yourself from it to somehow, like if you study what they're doing and then realize the different patterns or the, the different parts that don't make sense, it's a way to change how it affects you or to reduce like what's the this may sound like a stupid question but like what's the overall benefit from it the real benefit is that you cannot be triggered by an emotional manipulator in the room that we call the tv and the ability to to be above emotional manipulation i think is key to not being led to accept a false premise where now you're agreeing with a war or, or at least you're agreeing that this group is bad like what i'm suggesting is that the governments use demagoguery in a lot of ways. They, they program a lot of people with fear and paranoia. And I think that the way people respond to news is mostly, mostly emotional. And there are many reports talking about the deleterious effects of watching too much bad news. That's uh, not even a secret anymore that children in schools who are subject to hyper-realistic school shooting drills are psychologically traumatized by it. So I'm just suggesting that you can inoculate your mind against bad mind viruses for all intents and purposes that you can think critically and save yourself a lot of overreaction and the peace of mind alone is worth it that's one and then two you're no longer betraying your own operating system you're no longer denying your own perception in favor of what the mob says so it's about mental liberation from consensus constraints and it's also i think about becoming unplugged enough to where you can't be triggered because I've been triggered. I believe 9-11 was real when it happened. I made decisions based on it and down the line. And until I unplugged, I, I think I was easily manipulatable. And it's hard to say how much someone's a product of the manipulation until they've unplugged. Hmm, very well put. Well, we normally wrap these first hours up at the end of the hour. However, today there's a live stream chat, which is a uh unusual for conversations, but it's a nice little bonus. I want to read to you some of the comments and the questions, if you don't mind, that are coming through from the live stream. Chad, are you cool with that? If I read to you some of the questions that the 
live streamers. Uh, the people in the chat have put through to us. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. Sounds fun. Here's a tough question, though. This is a very philosophical one from Pete Shea. He says, JLB, I've got a genuine question for Tim Osman. In all of Tim's experience with the dead, is he convinced that living goes on after death? So, in other words, I think he's asking you about your existentialism or what you think life or this experience is all about and does it keep going i mean is it possible to die if you do die what happens next it's a very deep question but i think it's a genuine question what's you have to say to that tim osman it's a very good question i think it, you know, my my experience around the dead has one i, I know what bereavement look, looks like I, I don't fall for people who are faking it but um I am sort of convinced that life or consciousness or sentience continues outside of the body. And I've, I've already thought so because I've had too many what I'd consider to be uh, telepathic experiences. Like, I don't think that we're, that our mind is merely a byproduct of our wetware and our, our bodies, but that we are transcendent in some sense. And because of that, I do think that life does continue. Uh, but my own personal experiences with people who've died that were close to me, I've had some really interesting and undeniable synchronicities that have just suggested to me that it does continue. You don't just immediately die and go to hell. I mean, there's got to be some kind of layover period. But yeah, my opinion is life is uh, contiguous. Mm, fair enough. That's a tough question to answer sort of when it's thrown at you on the spot. And none of us really know, do we, Tim? None of us really know what happens on the so-called other side. Some people even question... Is there another side or is this place more or less all there is? And on that note, somebody in the live stream chat, Erica Creech writes, it's like the movie Inception. They want us in a dream within a dream. And then they put in brackets, white noise slash Ohio. Had you seen white noise before this event? Because I'd never even heard of it. So this film about, I mean, the film's about a lot of things, but in the first third of the film in white noise, there's this massive train derailment in Ohio. It's a big deal. Just a couple of months later, in so-called real life, there's a train derailment. The thing is, I hadn't heard of that film, which was based on a book by a guy called Don DeLillo, I think. So there was a book in 85 that they then turned into a movie in 2022. In that film, there's a train derailment. Then in so-called real life, there's a train derailment in Ohio, just like in the book. But the thing is, Tim, I didn't even know about the book or the movie until I'd heard about the the so-called real event. So when did you first hear of this white noise film? As soon as the film came out, someone in my think tank, uh, Linda Curtis, was like, you have to watch white noise. It has some predictive programming for toxic airborne events. Because I've been talking about how the, the National Guard and the DHS, they've been doing drills for the last couple of years having to do with dirty bombs delivered by drone. So I was expecting there to be a lot of predictive programming in the popular uh, TV shows, having to do with stuff from the sky. I had already watched it. I said it was terrible. I said it was a ripoff. It was almost like a dark twist on National uh, Lampoon's family vacation. And that was my first assessment. And I, I noted the predictive programming value, but I thought it was a terrible movie. So I had already watched it to answer your question. And later, though, interestingly, a number of reviewers pointed out that the main character looks like Chevy Chase and that they seem to have modeled the family off of National Lampoon's family vacation. And I pointed that out because this is one of the things they do. 
in addition to everything else that I've mentioned with this PSYOP, how they use it to influence your political opinions about environmentalism, et cetera, they're always engaging in these little subtle games. Like I think what they did with white noise is they destroyed the concept of the nuclear family that we saw with the Griswolds, which is sort of a this nostalgic view that you get in your family Volkswagen and you drive across America. Like you would never do that anymore. Not in today's post-reset world. I think they had to destroy that. And that was one of the objectives to this movie. And one more thing, Ohio happens to be the heart of it all. That's the state slogan. It's the heart of America. Having the train wreck in the heart of America, killing the Griswolds, I think it was all part of this bigger play. But anyway, I hope I answered the question. Yeah, I think you did. And then so this book about this white noise, the film comes out called White Noise. The guy who wrote it, the original book it was based on, is this Don DeLillo or Don DeLillo go. I'm not sure about the pronunciation of that. He also wrote, and it was published, I think, in 97, thereabouts, so a couple years, a few years before the big event of 2001, he wrote this book called Underworld or Underground. I'll look it up in just a moment. Underworld or Underground, one of the two. The front cover is of what looks like the Twin Towers, what looks like either a plane or a bird, the silhouette flying towards the towers. The top of the towers are covered by clouds. Well, they look like clouds, but it could also, if you didn't know better, almost looks like smoke, but probably clouds. Either way, the towers are sort of covered by these things at the top. So you've got the Twin Towers, you've got a silhouette of something flying towards them, and this cloud effect. That's the front cover of the book, and that was released just a few years before the real event involving the Twin Towers and something flying towards them and some smoke at the top. Very strange coincidence, Tim. What say you? I would categorize him as one of the metascriptors. When I say that, I mean, there are some writers out there, some directors that really stand out as being overrepresented among predictive programming. And I, I think with this particular individual, I think we have another example of someone who is writing scripts for the big story. Whether or not they know is almost immaterial. And something else, I, I read somewhere, I think uh, the chemical weight of vinyl chloride was a 9-11 reference. It was like 911 grams per centimeter squared. Like they, they had a couple of 9-11 tie-ins here, so that doesn't surprise me. And it makes me think that this is one of these uh, meta-scripted authors. And it'd be worth looking at his other books to see what else is being hinted at. Uh, and so a lot I've done is I've got it up on the screen right now for the viewers. But for those who are listening to the audio, I'll explain it to you. So it was Underworld. I said it was either Underworld or Underground. It was Underworld. And this is the front cover. For those of you who are listening, I'll explain it once again. You've got the Twin Towers. Then you've got what looks like cloud cover up the top. But because it's so uh, grainy, it could just as easily be smoke. But either way, smoke or clouds at the top of the Twin Towers. What looks like either a bird or a plane. I would say a bird. A silhouette of a bird. But it's got its wings outstretched, so it looks a bit like a plane. Flying towards the Twin Towers. And it's called Underworld. It came out, and I said 97. Yeah, I got that part right. 97 by this Don DeLillo guy. Now, if you look into it further... Don DeLillo was referenced in The Matrix Resurrections. Thomas Anderson, you know, Mr. Anderson, the main character, Neo, is in a bathroom stall and he's reading a quote from DeLillo, the author of this book. The quote is, It is so much simpler to bury reality than it is to dispose of dreams. Which you can interpret however you want, but it seems like on the service level, it's easier to continue with your dream, with your fake reality, 
than it is to deal with reality. So you just bury reality and remain living in the dream. And some people would suggest that those who still believe the TV is their friend or the government's their friend, these people are kind of living in a fantasy land. God love them, God bless them. But they're living in fantasy land. It's easy to do that, says Don DeLillo, than it is to deal with reality. And he was the guy who wrote the book that became the film White Noise. And a couple months later, here we have got this event. Seems very similar to what happened in the book. And once again, in case I didn't make this clear enough, his 97 book, Underworld, Twin Towers, Clouds at the Top, Silhouette Flying Towards It. That comes out just four years before the real event of 2001. How do you make sense of all of this, Tim? Once again, let's deal with this hypothetical fellow who is open-minded. He's not here just to call you a conspiracy theorist or any of that nonsense. He just, he wants to get to know where you, how do you make sense of this? How do you make sense of this, Tim? And to all the viewers in the live stream chat, you tell me, I'll try and read out your comments as well. How do you make sense of this? You've got a book in 97, Twin Towers, silhouette of something flying towards them. What looks like cloud cover at the top of the towers. It's called Underworld. Four years later, the real event happens with the Twin Towers and all the rest of it. Same dude writes White Noise. White Noise becomes a film in 2022. A couple months later, early 2023, there's a real train derailment, just like in the book. Tim, you tell me, how do you make sense of all of this? I make sense of it by the, the model that I reference is this world stage construct that the, the ones who are insiders to the scripting of these big staged events, uh, their books are all part of the same construct and they reference each other. For Neo... In Matrix Resurrections, to be referencing Don DeLillo is very consistent with what I would expect. And I looked at the cover of Underworld, and it looks like the Twin Towers are burning. It actually looks smoky at the top. I mean, that's pretty good for predictive programming. And it makes me think about the phrase that you referenced, where he's talking about how you can just bury the dreams. Well, I think that's what white noise might reference, how perhaps this big script, all these psyops, it's to create enough white noise to uh, bury our thoughts, to more or less drown our reality in this constant uh, non-stop uh, psyop after psyop psy war. I mean, that's one of the points I want to make is that the thing in Ohio was not an anomaly. Psy war is the norm. It's the rule, not the exception. And and I think that's probably the references that they are they're burying our reality with this non-stop um, just outpouring of fake news of drama, partisan drama. I mean, a month ago we were talking about UFOs. Now nobody cares. It's like the public's attention span has just been so fragmented. But no I, I kind of think that. my- I will tell you something though, Tim. Let me make a confession to you right now and a confession to all the listeners here at the Bombversations number 26. I like to sometimes escape from so-called reality. I like to go down to the local watering hole, watch a game between Liverpool and Real Madrid or Barcelona or Juventus or whoever. I like to put- on either the blue team or the red team. And then for almost two hours, I've got this entertainment watching millionaires kick around a ball for uh, just for the, it's just a job. They just do it for a job, but just for the hell of it, they're kicking around a ball. And for the hell of it, I'm sitting there watching it, preferably with other people who are into the game as well. And for two hours, I just try not to think about the the real world too much, Tim. I like to escape uh, so-called reality for a couple of hours Every now and then. Do you reckon that's... Is that okay? You tell me. Live stream chat, tell me. Is that acceptable? Is it okay to still want to engage in escapism from time to time? Is that okay? Because here's the thing. I don't have a Netflix account. I've never had a Netflix account in my life. I generally don't watch movies. I, 
you know, um, reality TV is so popular these days. People have to watch The Bachelor or So You Think You Can Dance or whatever. I would not want to watch. You'd have to pay me money to watch it. Decent money too to sit down and watch any of that stuff. Nothing against the people who watch it and enjoy it. I know many people do, but I don't. So the sports ball is a way to just escape all of that nonsense for a couple of hours. But guess what they've been doing, Tim? Now when you watch the European football, the soccer, guess what they've got next to the score? So it'll say, for instance, Real Madrid 1, Barcelona 1, for instance, like the scores. Next to it, they've got a blue and yellow flag, Tim. A little blue and yellow flag. Now you know why they're doing that, don't you? It's this whole support Ukraine thing. And guess what? That thing stays there for the whole game. They don't even just do it for the first... See, the whole kneeling thing, I didn't like that. Because it was, you know, for my own reasons, I just think it's all uh, ridiculous. But at least it was just at the start of the game. And then the rest of the game could continue. And you could put that in mind. But the blue and yellow flag, that just stays there the whole game. So even when I'm trying to escape the nonsense, it's there right in front of my face. So you tell me, Tim, tell me the live stream chat. Is it okay to still want to engage in some escapism every now and then, Tim? What do you think? I think it's perfectly acceptable because the fact is this is our world and they've superimposed. It doesn't mean we have to stop enjoying it. I think you can enjoy athletics and sports. You can enjoy aesthetics and movies without really being overly bothered by the programming. That's why I call this mind war inoculation. I can watch Netflix all day and I'm not becoming an environmentalist. I'm inoculated. And I do do like sports. I do like a lot of the activities normal people do or quote normies. I just recognize there's a deeper level to it. I think it's better to continue to engage with the normieville than to become alienated. And then from there, you know, once you get alienated, I think that's where people become prey to internet cults, where they're seeking like an alternative group of friends and family. And I don't think that's always a healthy thing, just given my experience with a lot of internet, uh, uh, I would say communities, but there are points where it becomes a little uh, culty. So, no, I'm 100% with you. You have to stay more or less plugged into the world that we share with everybody else, the consensus. I'm glad you mentioned the internet cult. So I've just added that to my little list of dot points to talk about in the after show that will begin in just a moment. I've added that one there because you've been here for a long time now. You've been here. I mean, when did you first get into all of this? I know that you did your uh, Mark Sargent thing back in around 2015, but when did you first get into all of this kind of stuff, this uh, truth of stuff? Do you remember like roughly what year that was? You know, I've always been somewhat into the truther stuff. It started a lot. I was always into the paranormal. I was always interested in what's not being revealed. And then when I was in the military, I specifically remember this sergeant, Sergeant George, was giving us a lecture about how we're not supposed to listen to Alex Jones. And the first thing I do is I go to the library and I download a bunch of stuff. And I felt like I was being, I felt paranoid when I had those first InfoWars MP3s. But I've always been interested. But like a lot of people, my conclusions were erroneous because I was trusting alternative sources instead of becoming my own source. And I think I I never lost interest in any of the stuff. I read all the literature I could, William Cooper, David Icke, etc. But I didn't become outspoken about it in my real life, almost never. But I didn't become really outspoken about it until about 2016. And that was when I started to pay close attention to NASA and what they were presenting us with and how unbelievable it was from someone like me who has years of experience as a video editor. All right, so 2016. So you've been here then in this part of the internet for, say, six or seven years. In that time, you would have seen one or two 
and let's use the term community. Let's be generous to begin with. Communities come and go, right? And, you know, one man's community is another man's cult and different people have different perceptions on these things. But generally speaking, you've been here long enough now, and I've been here long enough now, to have seen one or two of these communities get together and people hang out on Skype or on Discord and they share information and rumors and what have you. And sometimes they befriend one another and so far, so good, no big problems. But once someone comes along and says to them, hey, we've got an enemy, it's very easy for that group to then, maybe not all of them, but some of them begin acting in ways that perhaps they wouldn't if they weren't in the group, doing negative things or targeting people or what have you. I've seen this happen more than once, Tim. I think you have as well. And we'll come back and talk about some specifics for the after show. Let's wrap up these last 15 minutes, though, if you don't mind. We'll go through some of the live stream chat. Big thanks to all the people who left their comments and questions in the live stream chat. Are you familiar with a person who calls themselves WE, W-E-E, Tim? They say this. Yes, it's important to distinguish between completely fake and actual events that are not as presented, i.e. train wreck with smoke making chemicals, etc. I think what they're saying, Tim, is that some of these events could be made for TV movies, completely fake from start to finish, but maybe some of them have props. For instance, a train or a carriage that has been even if it hasn't been derailed, just placed there to look like it's been derailed. Are you still open to the possibility that maybe they did have a prop train or a carriage team? Or do you think, no, they wouldn't have even bothered. There's no chance the train line is... They never even had a prop next to it. The whole thing was fake. Because the reason I'm asking this question is because I still think they could have had a train there. They could have... Like, why not? They don't need to, obviously. But if I found out there was a, a carriage or a train, I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Like, they can have a prop there. Why not? Yeah, they, on this one, I'm, I'm open to the possibility of closed set. It could be CGI, it could be a model. But given that they just made a movie about it and some of the extras in the movie were involved in the event, it makes all the more sense that, that the props they used in the movie White Noise could easily have been the props for that event. And it could have been pre-recorded. So it could have been a number of things. I'm leaning towards it was pre-filmed and superimposed onto the news. Um, I don't think they would have... Um, I don't know. I mean, they, they could have gone CGI if nobody could have inspected it. But at this point, it's almost immaterial. The whole event was theater, whatever props they used. All right, well, let me go through a few more of these comments. So I asked the live stream viewers, what do you think about this? Is it okay to seek out some form of entertainment or escape from reality, or whatever you want to call it? Is that okay? We've got a few responses, actually. One of the responses is this. Let me just scroll down a little bit. Uh, Let's see. Sorry about the dead air here, folks. Normally, we record these things and I can edit them. That's what I do for the after shows. But this is a live stream, so you have to put up with me. Maddie 33 says, in regards to his escapism, okay? It's up to you, especially if you like sports, but it is part of the world stage. For me, I'd rather go out in nature and do some fishing. Well, can you go fishing at, say, 10 p.m. at night? Is that a thing that you do at 10 p.m., especially in the wintertime? Can you really be outside all of the time? The reason I'm exploring this, Tim Osmond from Infinite Plain Society, is because I see a lot of people, it's almost like they're judging the folks who watch the mindless programming. And I'm like, well, I can't really judge them because I do like to watch sports ball, which is, for all intents and purposes, just as mindless as the the Netflix and the movies. Do you know what I mean? I don't see, the, I personally don't think there's a problem with the escapism. The problem is when people don't realize the news they're watching is no more based in reality than than uh, a nonsense game of sports ball that could be fixed, couldn't it? Could be fixed. How would I know? 
I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. So when I'm watching this sports ball game, I'm not thinking, oh, this is real and I'm really part of it. And no, I'm just a, I'm just a consumer watching a bunch of lights and hearing sounds from a screen that's in a, a pub somewhere or in my room if I'm watching a game at home. It's just a, a box that's making sounds and it's got lights and I find it entertaining. But beyond that, I've got no more evidence that this is real than, than anything else. Tim, what say you? Well, I, I would say for people who would want to judge, and, and maybe this comes from Alex Jones. I remember he used to really harp on people who are too into football and they're not paying attention to the new world order. But when you really look at it, sports are a very social activity at, at all levels, you know, school, growing up, the, enjoy sports, the family. And they the news is very divisive. They and I, I kind of think that there's nothing inherently bad with sports. I don't, I don't really judge people for being too heavily involved in it. However, um, I ignored for a long time how much predictive programming goes into it, but it becomes glaringly obvious in the Super Bowl, uh, which is something I looked at recently. But yeah, my interest in in sports is really minimal. Um, I like athletics, so I'm definitely not um, following any teams, but I pay close attention now because I see how there's a monolithic media that encompasses all of the, the news, the entertainment, and sports. And even that last Super Bowl ritual was uh, quite, in my view, quite obviously mystery Babylon fertility rites. It's always fascinating to me how the public has been so distracted by the ball that they don't see anything else. But it hasn't diminished my appreciation for sports. But yeah, sports have been compromised just like news media has been as well. Everything is, you know, run through the same filter. Well, let me throw a like a meta curveball at you. This is my last question before we start to wrap up the first hour of the show. How about this? What if for some people, this studying the news or studying the films or the pop culture, noticing the patterns, even if it does eventually lead to a greater understanding of the reality that we're in, which I hope that it does, because I spend a lot of time doing this myself, even if it does lead to that, there's still an element of, and this is just me putting an idea to you, and you probably haven't heard me say this before, so take a moment to think about it if you, if you need to, but what if for people like me who realize the news could all be fake from start to finish. It could be. Maybe this story is real. Maybe it's not. But it could be fake. They can fake anything, basically. But we're still in a world where the people we mix with, whether it's at work or it's at family reunions or family gatherings or it's the local social club, whatever the case is, down at local watering hole, perhaps, the people we interact with, they're still consuming the news. So it's something that we all have in common. We all know, oh, there's been this event or there's been this thing happen or a couple of, maybe a month ago, there was that Turkey earthquake. Everybody was talking about that here because we're pretty close to Turkey. Like Turkey's on our border. Bulgaria is bordered by Turkey. So that was a big thing. So all of these news stories, I'm putting forward the idea that for some of us, once we stop believing in the news or we stop trusting the news anyhow, this analysis that some of us do, the sync work or the gematria or whatever people are into, it's almost like a way to still consume the news and be familiar with it, still be part of the, the collective, the the greater, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the population, society, whatever you want to call it, we're still part of the, the broader Metascript. We're still paying attention to the same Metascript as the regular people, but it's more fun to do it this way because we can't just sit there and be- I can't just sit there and believe it anymore. I can't see a story about a train derailment and have the, the expected response of the masses, oh, that's so sad, that's so... I can't do that. I don't really believe the news story. But what I can do is I can jump onto the IPS Discord server or the John LeBond Discord server or the different subreddits are out there, whatever it is, and I can find someone saying, hey, did you know this event is just like a movie that came out two months ago? 
And I'm like, I had no idea. Didn't even know the movie existed. So I can go and find the movie, go and find who wrote the book, find out that this guy turned up in The Matrix. Now you see, this is interesting to me. So what I'm trying to put forward is this idea that maybe this analysis of the news or the movies, whatever, it's a way for some of us to still keep abreast of the talking points that everybody's paying attention to, but to do it in a way that is fun for us. I can't just sit there and watch a news story and care. But if I see a sync element in there, see, now I'm interested in this. So I'm not sure if I'm making this question clear enough, Tim, but can you see where I'm coming from with this? I enjoy my life a lot more knowing what's fake and what's real or knowing what's unknowable than just assuming it's all real and then responding and reacting. I think this is a, a position of control. It takes on a game-like quality. I like being in a room with other people who are similarly engaged, very active minds. And I describe this thing as a massive puzzle that might take several lifetimes to complete, you know, millions of pieces. You couldn't do it by yourself. And the more people you have, the more you're able to construct a picture. And it, I, I think it makes it intensely interesting. I've been watching, I've been binge watching CNN and it's hilarious. I'm not um, bothered by it. I'm not annoyed by it. In fact, um, I was just watching this show. They're talking about this guy who's almost hijacking a plane and the customers got off their seats and they tied him up with their belts. And I was like, let me guess. He's 33. And care to guess how old this guy was on this big story right now trying to disrupt a flight? Well, you've already said 33, so I can't guess that. I'll go with a different number. How about 42? Yeah, it would have been, right? No, he had to be 33. And I just point this out because if the news wasn't entirely scripted when it comes to these agenda-setting events, it wouldn't be that predictable. We shouldn't be able to predict the news. It should be random. Yet, we're able to predict it, and those of us who look at the big picture and all the media and see the connections can actually see that we're looking at what I think is a fictional universe superimposed onto the world. And I call it the world stage. Well, I've got a ton of notes. I've been taking notes as we've been talking. To, we can go into more detail for the after show. We need to wrap up this first part of the show, though. So tell us about this Infinite Plane Society. I believe people can join it. Is it $5 a month? Is that the minimum uh, buy-in? What's the, how does that, the IPS uh, Patreon work? Explain it to us. Okay, right now, if you're very new, you just go to infiniteplane.live and sign up for the Patreon. You get email news alerts, and you get alerts for when we're live, like today. You would have received one. And I've made it very easy for noobs who don't know anything about this. It's a dollar a month, and you got a free trial. But if you want to get, for example, the second hour of this event here, you'll want to join at the $5. But InfinitePlane.Live has a link. My Patreon, Infinite Plane Society, is ground zero to stay informed. Now, there's not much independent content out there, especially when it comes to media faking and what have you. So there's a ton of independent content if you want people to talk about politics or about the regular stories and the official stories and what have you, there's countless things to consume in that sense. But when it comes to analysis of the media from a perspective of, hey, this could be fake, well, now you're narrowing it right down. And for me, I still listen to Fakeologist regularly. I still check out Peace of Mindful, the blog. There's a couple of subreddits I follow. There's a few different places that I go to. But in terms of regular content, be it videos, live streams, podcasts, whatever, there's not that many, Tim. And so you're one of the few that is still going. You've been doing this for, what, five or six years now. So you're still going strong. You still have a lot of supporters out there. When people do sign up to the Infinite Plane Society, what can they expect if they were to come and join for $1 a month or $5 a month? What is the main, like, what are you expecting them to experience when they first get there? 
uh, when they first get there, they will be able to immerse themselves in the IPS think tank body of research. They're right in the middle of it. They're in the know whenever we have a live stream. So you have the constant interaction with people who are similarly involved in deconstructing fake news. I compare the IPS to that TV show, Mystery Science Theater 3000, where the protagonist and his friends are captive in a movie theater forced by aliens to watch bad science fiction, which pretty much is a microcosm for our lives here. And the way they get through it and retain their sanity is they mock the movies and throw popcorn at the screen. That's the experience that you get when you join the IPS. You get Bro, the popcorn. I'll just take another note because you mentioned Mystery Science Theater. Check this out. There is a massive sync to do with season three, episode 11 of Mystery Science Theater. So you know how you first, you were the one who first put me onto this colony show, right? So back in 2020, on March 11, there's this guy called Ted Ross, and he says that we have therefore made the assessment that the coronavirus can be categorized as a pandemic, right? That was on March 11, 311, 2020. And then you brought to my attention, I think you had a chat with Fakeologist. I think that's where I heard you say this, something like that. You mentioned that there's this TV show called Colony, and season three, episode 11, they say that Seattle will be the ground zero for the reboot of civilization. Okay, that's season three, episode 11 of Colony. They're saying that Seattle will be the ground zero for the reboot of civilization. And according to the official story, where was the first case of corona in the United States? According to the official story. Of course it was Seattle. Yeah. And you were the one who brought that to my attention. So after you did that, myself and some of the people at JohnTheBond.com, we started looking at different TV shows their season three, episode 11. And somebody on our forum pointed out something to do with the Mystery Science Theater, their season three, their episode 11. And it's been a little while since I've gone back and revisited that. But just in the last couple of days, that's what I've done. And what I've discovered shook me to the depths of my miserable soul. So I've got a note ready. I'll talk about that in the after show. But we need to wrap up this first part of the show. So people can get the second hour, the after show, as I call it, either at the Tim Osman uh, Patreon. There'll be a link to that in the show notes below. Or you can just go to Patreon and type in Infinite Plan Society. It will come up. You can just join that. If you join for a month and don't like it, you can just cancel. It's very easy to cancel uh, through Patreon. I'm a patron of the Infinite Plan Society and about a dozen other content creators. I like to support independent content because I can't watch the news. I can't listen to normal podcasts. It, I find it... I just can't do it. You know what I mean? I just can't do it. But I can listen to fakeologist.com. I can listen to IPS. I can listen to a couple of people putting out independent content. So I'm a Patreon there. And uh, maybe some of you, if you're not already, you'll consider going and joining. You'll get the second hour of this chat where we can get into much more detail about this Johnny Cerucci drama. I can't wait to hear about that. I'm looking forward to some goss. I had no idea about this, Tim, until a couple of hours ago when I was doing my prep work for this uh, call. Johnny Cerucci thing's gone sour, apparently. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about this Transvestigations people. Now, this I do know about because I've been following this one very closely. And, uh, well, the less said in this part of the call, the better. But we'll talk about that in a lot of detail for the second hour. We'll talk about these internet cults and communities. We'll talk more about concurrent programming. And if we get time, in a couple of days, it is the third anniversary of 3.11. This event that I think is bigger than 9.11. So we've got a lot to talk about, Tim, but we need to wrap up this first part of the show. So big thanks to all the supporters who have come out into the live stream chat, leaving their comments and questions. Sorry we couldn't go through all of them. We would have if we could have, but time is of the essence here. 
we'll try and do another stream like this at some point in the future. But we've got a lot to talk about for the after show, which will be starting in just a minute. But you get the last words here, Tim, for the official Bombversation, episode number 26, March 9, 2023. You are the first returning guest for Bombversations. This is the first live stream we've done for Bombversations. So a lot of firsts tonight. Great to have you on the call. You get the final thoughts. And when you're done, we'll wrap up this show and we'll start the after call in just a moment. Uh, go and check out bombversations.com or johnthebond.com. Or in the case of wanting to find out more about Tim Osman, go and check out infiniteplane.press. All the links in the show notes below. And for his final thoughts for this part of the call, here is Tim Osman from the Infinite Plane Society. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Bombversations is epic. You have a great list. I've mentioned your roster. I recommend people go through and listen to them all. And yeah, this is a small group of people. If you look at the IPS, fakeologist, John LeBond, I got Les Luther out there. I see him in the chat. There are not many of us at this level of media deconstruction. And I like the fact that we're able to continue to network and we'll continue to do so. I took a lot of notes um, over the last uh, hour and a half, quite a lot to talk about behind the scenes. And yeah, we will address all of it. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. And anybody who wants to catch the second half, you'll just want to join my Patreon or obviously join your site. And um, I'll see you backstage. You've been listening to Bonversations. Find more episodes at johnlebon.com. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. It wasn't a tent. It was this magnificent thing.